Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, ascended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, we'll continue with the Speak, O Lord, your servant listens. <laughs> Speak, O Lord, your servant listens. Let your word to me come near. Newborn life and spirit give me. Let each promise still my fear. Death's power, its inward strife. Wars against your word of life. Fill me, Lord, with love's strong fervor, that I cling to you forever. Oh, what blessing to be near you and to listen to your voice. Let me ever love and near you. Word me now my choice. Many hardened sinners, Lord, flee in terror at your word. But to all who feel sin's burden, you give words of peace and pardon. Lord, your words are waters living when my thirsting spirit pleads. Lord, your words are bread life-giving, on your words my spirit feeds. Lord, your words will be my light, through death's cold and dreary night. Yes, they are my sword prevailing, and my cup of joy unfailing. As I pray, dear Jesus, hear me. Let your words in me take root. May your spirit be near me. I bear abundant fruit. May I daily sing your praise. From my heart, glad anthems raise. Till my highest praise is given in the endless joy of heaven. We'll continue with the uh, Catechism Bible Memory work. What is the third commandment? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word but hold it sacred, gladly hear and learn it. And, and uh, we'll say the Bible memory work together. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Acts 2.42 Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the Holy Spirit, and forever and ever. Amen. And Luther's morning prayer. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. All right. Um, do you guys want to stick around for the hymn part? This time? Okay. <laughs> Kids can go off to Sunday school. All right. Uh, first of all, I apologize for starting that hymn a little low. I have allergies right now, and so my voice is a few uh, notes. <laughs> Maybe not octaves, but um, maybe a third or so lower than it normally is. Second of all, um, there's a uh, church in New Haven, Missouri, um, where a guy, if you, you may have heard this name before in like Lutheran history, a guy by the name of Her- Herman Otten uh, used to be pastor, and Herman Otten... Um, Back in the days of of Simonex, which was when uh, there was a divide between uh, at the St. Louis Seminary between the liberals and conservatives, the conservatives believed God's word was true, and the liberals said God's word is only partially true. And um, that's basically how the ELCA um, was formed: is they were people who left the LCMS. Um, and joined with a couple other Lutheran church bodies. Anyway, Herman Otten um, was a conservative pastor at the time, and he started a newspaper. Actually, he was a layperson at the time. He started a newspaper um, reporting on these things uh, back then called Christian News. And um, it actually did a great service to the church in, <clears throat> excuse me, in uh, kind of exposing the liberalism that was going on in the professors at the St. Louis Seminary at the time and um, kind of investigative reporting, so to speak. And uh, yeah, go, go to Sunday school. I don't, I don't need one. That's fine. Thank you. Um, Marcus, go to Sunday school. Um, so anyway, that, that publication is still in print. Um, Herman Otten died two, a year or two ago. Um, and someone else took it over, another pastor. But the church he pastored in New Haven, Missouri, still kind of owns the publishing company that uh, it's. I think it's just called Christian News that publishes um, that magazine, which we get at the church, and it's normal. Sometimes the copies will be out here on the uh, on the table. Um, 
it's I don't think it's as good as it used to be back in the day. They pick like random topics now, but um, it, it used to be a good, ma- really good magazine, I think. Um, but one of the other things that that publishing company did is they did do a like a Lutheran translation of the Bible, or a Lutheran pastor did a translation of the Bible, and uh, a guy by the name of Beck. And uh, so you might sometimes uh, at lots of LCMS churches you'll find. Beck Bibles floating around. I think there might be one on this shelf somewhere. Or I've definitely seen one. Here we go. Yeah, a bunch of them are down here. Okay. Yeah. So this is a Beck Bible. Um, it says Beck down there. And it's called an American translation. And um, there's a, about three or four of them down here. Um, anyway, I say all of this uh, just kind of for fun trivia. But also, uh, the church, I, I, and I know the pastor that's at the church down in New Haven now, a um, friend of mine, Andrew Preuss. Anyway, um, they keep sending us uh, samples of the Beck Bible, of the New Testament and Psalms, and uh, I already have one, so um, I'm going to leave this up here. If anyone wants it, it's yours. That's, uh, that's all I had to say, really. But... Um, I thought you should know what it is before. Uh, it's an okay translation. I don't really have any problems with it. I like the NKJV better still, but um, but there's nothing wrong with it. It's fine. So so anyway, that's a free Bible sample if anyone wants it. I, I couldn't just like you know throw a Bible away, you know. So oh, no. so we're gonna give it away um, if anyone wants it. So. The winner of the chili cook-off. Okay. okay. There you go. Good idea. Sounds good. It might be fast. <laughs> then I'll do the same thing next week. We'll give it away. And if anyone really wants a whole Beck Bible, you can. Um, I'm not going to know if you take one off the shelf, so feel free. Um, I'm pretty sure no one ever uses them. So, all right. Um, so for the hymn today, uh, "Speak, O Lord, Your Servant Listens." When we were singing it, I was thinking about um, the second stanza especially. Oh, a blessing to be near you and to listen to your voice. Uh, Let me ever love and hear you. Let your word be now my choice. So uh, today, even though it's not really the focus of the sermon, the theme of the Sunday today is word alone, God's word alone. And this is going to go along with the catechism Bible memory work too, but Sometimes I think in our heads we separate out. I know, I mean, I think I do this at least. I separate out like the Bible and what happened, like what's going on in church. Although, I mean, of course they're connected. But um, like I think about like my Bible reading being different than like my prayer being a very different thing than like preaching. And they are different in a sense. But um, what this. Stanza two points out to me, let you, what, your, what blessing to be near you, to listen to your voice, let me ever love and hear you, is kind of the uh, active nature of what happens when we come into contact with God's word. Uh, whether that's in just reading God's word or hearing God's word read or hearing God's word preached or um, having God's word applied to us in in baptism and in the Lord's Supper, um, or even in a sense, 
when we, uh, when we pray God's word, you know, if we're praying the Psalms or we're praying in accordance with God's word, um, is that God's, that, I mean, this is a point that, that Paul makes, God's word is living, right? It is active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And the way that it's active is that it is God himself actually talking to us, speaking to us. Um, and it is the way in which he comes near to us, um, in which he is with us, right? What blessing to be near you, to listen to your voice. Uh, let me ever love and hear you. Let your word be now my choice. So, um, and, and the opposite is also true, right? Many hardened sinners, Lord, flee in terror at your word. So there's a direct correlation to the hearing of God's word and being close to God. And the denying of God's word and being far away from God, right? Um, fleeing from God. And, um, <clears throat> but to all who feel sin's burden, you give words of peace and pardon. So I, I do, um, I, I really like this. And then that third stanza goes on to explain um, kind of in those terms how his words are, are life to us how they're living and how they're active in our lives. Your words are waters living, so that's baptism. When my thirsting spirit pleads, your words are bread life giving, that's communion. On your words, my spirit feeds. Your words will be my light through death's cold and dreary night. Um, so even in the darkest and, and times closest to death, we have God's word for comfort. Uh, they are my sword, and then that's that reference to Hebrews there. They are my sword prevailing. And my cup of joy unfailing. And uh, that does relate to the sermon because we're going to be talking about defending the faith or contending for the faith on the basis of God's word today um, from 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. And uh, the idea of the word being a sword is important. Um, I heard someone say recently, and I just... I. I understand what they're saying, um, but I, I, di- I disagree because. So what I let me tell you what they said first. Um, what this person said is that, well, look, uh, in Matthew 16, Jesus says the gates of uh, hell will not prevail against the church, um, and that shows that the church is not offensive in nature, but it's defensive in nature. And I understand what they're saying, that um, you are Peter on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That, yes, the church is being attacked, um, and we are called to defend the church, like we are protected. Um, so there is a defensive aspect to it. But very often, the Bible also speaks in terms of offense, right? So, yeah, we put on the defensive armor of God. But part of that armor is taking up the sword of the spirit, right? And the sword is an offensive tool. And um, like Jude, for instance, the book of Jude talks about contending for the faith. So I'm going to use that a little bit in the sermon, contending for the faith once delivered to the saints, um, to be on the lookout for false teachers. And so anyway, my point is that... um, as we're hearing God's word and God's word is living in us, we are 
we are on the offensive against the devil, uh, the world, and our sinful nature. We are called to fight against these things, um, not just to kind of be passive and hope everything works out for the best, right? Um, we are called to be, uh, in the in a sense, on the offensive. So, and act to actively go and, and seek out God's word, to actively go and hear God's word. And that leads us to the catechism and uh, Bible memory work. What are you doing? Either sit down and listen or go to Sunday school. Uh, the catechism and Bible memory work. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Uh, what does this mean? So it's interesting here. Luther does not talk about taking a day of rest, right? Like that's, that is what the Sabbath means. It means rest. And the Sabbath in the Old Testament is taking a specific day of rest. It was Saturday in the Old Testament um, where they wouldn't do any work, and that's modeled after God and creation. And that's all good. But uh, Luther here obviously thinks the Sabbath for New Testament Christians is talking about the church service, right? Because he doesn't, he doesn't go and talk about like a day of rest. He, said, he talks, what does he talk about? He talks about God's word and preaching, Right? He says, we should not despise, we should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching in his word, which is like what we heard in the hymn, right? Um, uh, but to, to all who feel sin's burden, your words of peace and pardon, um, what blessing to be near you to listen to your voice, right? Uh, we should love God's word. We should want to hear it. We should want to hear its preaching and um, hold it sacred, gladly, gladly hear and learn it. And um, that that does have to do with a day, right? Because we have uh, in the New Testament, the early Christians said our Sabbath day is going to be the day of resurrection, right? We're changing the Sabbath day from Saturday to, to Sunday because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead and, and his resurrection is our peace and our rest. And um, so we're going to have this Sabbath day. We're going to have Sunday, um, but we're not bound to that in the sense that the Israelites were bound to the Sabbath day, were free from the condemnation of the law. But what are we going to focus on for our Sabbath? We're going to focus on hearing God's word. Uh, we're going to focus on, on the preaching. And um, that's why I have Acts 2.42 there, is that you can't separate the Sabbath day and God's word and um, all the things that are going on on Sunday. Right, so I love Acts 2:42 because it's just a definition of a good church service. Right, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's preaching. There's no, there's really no distinction in the New Testament between the words preaching and teaching. Um, there's, there's kind of proclamation and catechesis, but it seems to be the same action. Um, like it's what's happening from the pulpit uh, to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. That's communion and the prayers. Um, so that's all the things that we do in a normal church service, right? And uh, that that is what the Sabbath day is, and it's to uh, be devoted to these things, right? Notice all the kind of verbs that surround this idea of the Sabbath day and of the word, right? Holding it sacred, right? Um, not despising, uh, gladly hearing, being devoted, 
right? These are very active and strong ways to describe our um, attitude or our way that we're looking at God's word and, and the preaching. So anyway, any any thoughts on any of that? <clears throat> the hymn or catechism or, yeah, Steve? Verse 2, line 3, let your word now be my choice. So that's our, our choice to uh, what? Um, yeah, so I think we can reject it. Yeah, we can reject it. And so, so there's a, there's something to say here about free will. So I'll try and run through through this pretty quickly, but I think it's really, really helpful. The book of Concord, the Lutheran confessions are confessional documents. The formula of Concord, which is the last document in there that, um, was written after Luther died by other Lutheran theologians, and it was kind of clarifying some different debates that were going on at the time theologically. There's an article in there on free will that outlines what Lutherans believe about free will, or, excuse me, uh, to be clear about that, what the Bible says about free will, right? But um, it divides up free will into four time periods. And the first is, um, I'll I'll just use the kind of common language. I won't use the theological, technical language. Um, The first is before the fall into sin. So when Adam and Eve were in the garden, right, uh, they had kind of total free will, right? They were able to uh, hear God and do what he said for them to do, they were also able to uh, fall into sin, right? They were able to choose a sinful life, right? They could, they could, they could sin against him. They could sin uh, or they could, they could live for him, right? Um, they had, they had complete free will. And of course uh, they uh, chose sin and fell into sin. Well, after the fall into sin, But before someone is converted, so before conversion, because our souls are corrupted by sin, and this is the the one that kind of is uh, complicated uh, for people, but I I have a pretty good analogy that I heard one time to help explain it. Um, We have... So at, when we're corrupted by sin, so basically everyone after Adam and Eve, right, that's inherited Adam's sin, um, but before someone is converted, we have a bound will in, uh, in spiritual matters. We have free will to uh, one sin, because we're, we're already in sin, we're bound to sin, so of course we can kind of sin, we can continue to sin. Um, and uh, we do have uh, free will in temporal matters. So temporal is temporary, right? And that's life on this earth. So kind of bodily, temporal uh things so you can think about like when the confession says 
um, I deserve your eternal and temporal punishment. I deserve your punishment, you know, here on this earth. Um, we have temporal free will, so I can choose between a Kit Kat and a Snickers, right? Even if I'm uh, not a Christian, I and I my will is bound uh, to to in terms of my soul, I can still choose between a Kit Kat and a Snickers, right? I can choose which chili I want to eat today, right? Okay, so um, even if someone's not a true Christian, they can still do that. So that there's a, that little distinction. But this bound will in spiritual matters, what this means is we can't save ourselves, right? We are so lost in sin and we're corrupted by sin, we can't decide for ourselves to follow God. Um, the Holy Spirit has to come and save us, right? The Holy Spirit, we have to have the word preached to us from outside of us, and the Holy Spirit has to, uh, to work in our hearts to give us new life and new faith. Right. We can't we can't come up with ourselves, uh, you know, faith in our in ourselves. Um, this is so one analogy that the Bible often uses is re, to become a Christian is a rebirth. You don't choose to be born. Right. You're born because you have a mother and a father uh, who came together and then God gave you life. You didn't choose any of that for yourself. Right. That happened to you. In the same way, to be reborn happens only because your Father in Heaven uh, decides to give you life, right? And so the kind of analogy that I've heard for this is like if you have an iceberg, and uh, so this is the ocean, right? And uh, you have an iceberg, and you're lost under the iceberg swimming around. You can keep swimming as far down as you want, right, in, in your sin, and in, and in this dark world, you can continue to choose Kit Kats and Snickers and you can continue to uh, swim around in your own sin. But to get to the light, to get to uh, God, you someone's going to have to come and break the ice, right? You can't, you don't have the ability to break through on your own. This thing's way too thick for you and you're, you're drowning, right? You're stuck. Um, and... You're so lost, you don't know how to swim around it, right? <laughs> um, you gotta. So it's, it's an analogy, right? But um, this is, this is how our our life after the fall, before conversion. Now, um, after the fall, after conversion. So after we're Christians, after God has saved us, after the Holy Spirit has worked in our hearts. After we've heard the word, we then again have a we have a new spirit, and so we do have uh, free will. Uh, uh, toward toward God, we can choose. Uh, we do participate. We in by by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we do participate. Um, our wills participate in following God's law, right? We hear God's law and we respond to it by by the Holy Spirit, and uh, we want to do what is right. Now, on this side of heaven, um, we still our free will is not perfect. Um, we still also have free will to sin, right? We still can reject what God has given us. 
um, it's 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 not a perfected will, right? Um, it's similar to what Adam and Eve had before the fall, but it's not exactly the same in that we do have the will that's given by the Holy Spirit. Um, and we're just in a very we're in a very different spot because the world is corrupt by sin, right? Um, but this is one thing that I think Lutherans kind of fail to talk about is where we get so caught up in like um, we can't save ourselves. Uh, we believe in salvation by grace alone, by faith alone, right? That we forget to talk about what actually most of our lives generally consists of, which is when we're actually Christians, and we can respond to God's word. And so sometimes, um, I'm going to get to you, Chad, don't worry. Sometimes uh, we'll, hear, we're, we'll hear, hear things like this in Lutheran, very Lutheran hymns, right? This is like a 16th century Lutheran hymn. Let your word be my choice. And we're like, that doesn't sound very Lutheran. But it is because this is a hymn that Christians are singing. And there is this sense in which with our new spirit, uh, with our new will, um, only, of course, by the grace of the Holy Spirit and only by the Holy Spirit working in us. But we do cooperate. We're not robots, right? That's the that's the thing. Like it's not like oh, once God saves us, then He just kind of controls us as robots the rest of our lives. No, we participate in the Christian life, and <clears throat> we can choose as Christians to either listen to God's word or to reject it. Um, so uh, to have to to choose uh, to to be God's word. And, and notice it is still kind of passive in a sense, right? Let your word be now my choice. So God is still involved. It's not like it's just us and our own willpower uh, to, to do this. We need God to help us, but yet it still is our choice, right? Again, like we're not robots. So that's how we're choosing. The fourth category, I won't even bother writing it down, is in heaven one day in the new heavens, new earth. And that's when our will is perfected, where we have free will, but no one sins. Uh, and that's like kind of a weird concept, but that's how it's going to be, is that it's it's going to be perfect to where we're all, our will is free, completely free, and yet no one ever chooses to sin. So um, that's then heaven. Okay, go ahead, Chad. So there's Right. And I've, I've, I've read Calvin and I've listened to the free will Baptists kind of thing. Yeah. <clears throat> you can tell me if maybe this is wrong, but I've kind of thought about it like this. You don't really choose to believe the truth. The only choice that you have is to reject the truth. So, you know, I can walk outside and it's whatever, it's 42 degrees outside. The truth of the matter is it's, the temperature is 42 degrees. Mm -hmm. And I can believe that it's cold or I can reject it. And and there's no active part of me except in the fact that it's, you know, the sun's up, the sky's blue, it's cold outside. You know, these right. are yeah. true objective facts. 
And that's kind of what Spirit, the Holy Spirit does to us in our, at conversion, the Holy Spirit puts these true objective facts of Christ in us by convicting of us, us of sin and convincing us of Christ. And the only option that we have is to really act as an active part of our will to reject that, which some people do, yeah. or just be compelled by the facts. And that right. there's no activeness in being compelled by facts. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. And um, that's, I think, often why the Bible speaks of hearing the gospel being like coming out of darkness into light that um, the light happens to you, right? But before you were in darkness, it was hidden from you, and now the truth is now clear. Um, but, but you're right, the light happens to you. As to the um, debate between like free will Baptists and Calvinists, so um, they, the, that debate, I, sometimes I find it silly because the, the debate centers around this area here, after the fall, before conversion. How is one converted? Are they converted by uh, Christ alone, uh, without any work of our own, or do we do people make a choice to be saved? And the free will Baptists would say people make a choice to be saved, and the Calvinists would say um, you're only saved by – and we would agree with the Calvinists on this. You're elect. You're only saved by Christ alone. It's monergistic. Now – the Calvinists take that too far and then also apply that to damnation and say that um, people who are damned are also uh, damned by God's will and not by their own. See, because we, we would say, you know, we have free will to sin. They said, no, will is totally bound both ways. You, you're, you're bound to sin or you're bound to, to believe. Um, and we would disagree with that. But... Um, I think, especially with the free will Baptist, I think what's happening is they're just confusing these categories because it certainly does seem whenever someone comes to faith, like they're an active participant in that, right? So I never really fault anyone when they're like, I was saved whenever I, like, I heard this sermon or I was at this event or I read this book or whatever and... And I decided to follow Jesus right then and there. I understand that. That's not theologically correct. Who cares? I understand that because that is what it seems like from our perspective. Because the Holy Spirit worked faith in your heart and you responded with joy and thanksgiving. And uh, you repented of your sin. And that felt like something that you did, right? Because... The second that the Holy Spirit works faith in your heart, that whatever millisecond that happens, all of a sudden you have a new will. You have you have this this you're all of a sudden you're in this uh, after fall after conversion state, and we participate with our new wills with our new spirits. We participate with God in. Uh, his work in our lives. And so, if that makes sense, like, I, I I understand why people get confused that, like, they think that they made a decision for Christ when really it was the Holy Spirit working in them. But it does feel like we are doing something in that, in that process, right? 
we can we can feel God working in us, um, and we can feel ourselves and know ourselves thinking about about these truths and and whatnot. So, um, but anyway, the it is still good to know and 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 good to confess, however, the truth that I didn't save myself. It wasn't up to me. God saved me. He came, you know, Christ. Christ saved me by grace alone, um, not not my own not my own works, but anyhow, uh, because if you do take that like I made the decision for Christ thing too far, then you end up in other bad places like rejecting infant baptism, for instance. Okay, so so that that's like where it can go wrong, but but I do understand when people are like. I was saved. I like I remember when I was saved, especially when people are converted as adults, because then they like have those. They can feel their spirit changing, and it's like feels like a choice they're making. Anyway, okay. Um, any other questions or thoughts on that? Sorry, I know that was a long thing on choice, but um, I find it important to be clear on like this idea that we can choose to to hear God's word because we can't. Uh, we can, and we shouldn't be scared to say to say that. I really like the um, an- another similar hymn line is uh, from "I trust, O Lord, Your holy name," and I it's got this line in there that says, "With You, O Lord, I cast my lot," and I just I love that line. Um, it's kind of this like reckless um, giving of our belief and our will over to God that that uh where we are choosing as Christians who are regenerated to uh live our life only to God. So anyway. Um any other thoughts or comments on that? All right. There you go. Um, so let's look at Second Kings 11. So we're going to talk about um, Athalia, Adaliah, Athalia, however you want to say her name. So we've kind of been working out of Second Chronicles, but um, uh, <coughs> Second Kings 11 is a little bit shorter of an account of Athalia. So um, you can look at Second Chronicles uh, 22 and 23 if you want a fuller explanation of, of everything that happens in Athaliah's life or Athaliah's life. I think I think Athaliah is what I've heard um, other people say, uh, but Hebrew pronunciation is all made up, so I just say whatever I want to say. But um, second, I have free will, you know. Um, <laughs> But 2 Kings 11 is the chapter we're going to be working out of. And if you recall, so just to kind of catch up um, where we've been so far, Ahaziah was the last king that we talked about. And Ahaziah um, was controlled basically by his mother, Athalia. And Athalia was the daughter of, does anyone remember? Yeah, Jezebel. And so she's well-versed in evil. 
she knows how to be evil. And um, you can see also the, the, we're talking about the kings, and in this case, the queen of Judah. But uh, Jezebel was not in Judah, right? She was in Israel. And Israel is by and large uh, more wicked than Judah ever was. And so you have this wickedness coming in from Israel into Judah um, through the relationship of the various kings and queens uh, during this time. So um, when Ahaziah dies uh, by the hand of Jehu, who's a good king, one of the only somewhat good kings in Israel, uh, that leaves a power vacuum and uh, Athaliah takes over. And she immediately does what? Does anyone remember? It's a couple weeks ago we talked about this. Yeah, she just kills everybody because she wants to be the only power in Judah. So very nice uh, woman that uh, she, you know, murders all her own family. That's what I was going to ask. Is that her family? Yes, yeah, her family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want that guy in North Korea. I'm sure that guy. I mean, really, does it? So Complete wickedness, right? Um, wickedness that we have a hard time imagining. Okay, so um, that's the that's the situation. Now, so we get we get to Second Kings eleven, and um, oh, and then also remember that Ahaziah's sister Jehoshaphat um, rescued, like like Moses, if you remember that story. She rescued Ahaziah's one son, who, who Athelia, her own grandson, uh, would have killed if if she had she hadn't. Uh, and his name is Joash. Okay. So we have a Joash, and we kind of know that that's he's being hidden away. Um, in the seventh year of her reign, Jehoiada. Okay, and we find out also in Second Chronicles. I don't think it's, um, or maybe it is here. No, I don't think it is here. In Second Chronicles, um, Jehoiada is a priest, and he is uh, also not only a priest, but he's the husband of. Uh, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the sister of Ahaziah who um, saved Joash. Okay, so you can already kind of see the setup here is that um, Jehoiada, who's a faithful priest and the husband of the 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 faithful sister who saved the life of of Joash, um, these are kind of the good guys, right? Jehoiada is going to be a good guy, um, and Athelia uh, doesn't seem to really know exactly what's going on. But Jehoiada uh, decides to organize a coup against Athelia. Okay? So, starting in verse 4, he's going to bring in hundreds of um, bodyguards and captains and, and basically military forces um, into the temple. And he's going to organize a coup against Athelia. Now, I want to make one point here, and that's a point about politics and religion. So 
in America, we obviously have this idea of the separation of church and state, which I think is often misunderstood. Um, the original notion of separation in church and state was to protect the church from the state, not the other way around. But um, the the church, and this goes, uh, this parallels very well with with Lutheran theology, what um, a lot of Lutherans have have written and thought about the way that the church should interact with the state, which is basically that the church should try to inform the state on good morals so that the state can uh, have good laws because we know God's word and we know what's right and wrong on the basis of God's word and our, our laws should ideally be based around God's morality, um, not around you know, what humans think is moral and immoral, right? Because as you know well, uh, what humans think is moral and immoral can change with the, uh, with the, time. with the times, right? Um, but God's word never changes. So Jehoiada um, is a priest, and we would normally think like a priest getting very involved in politics would be weird, like if a pastor got very, very involved in politics. People might think that a little weird, but um, this is important that Jehoiada does this, not only for the like continuance of the land of Judah, which is obviously established by God himself, but I think it's important for him because these are his people, right? And this is the right thing that should be done. He's under a wicked ruler and uh, he is in a position where he can um, establish justice in this place. And, you know, I, I've always liked this quote I heard from this pastor this one time. He said, you know, everyone thinks that there's two things you're not supposed to talk about in polite society, politics and religion. I think those are the only two things worth talking about. <laughs> um, you know, because, like, yeah, it doesn't matter what, you know, small talk you can make about the weather or whatever, you know. Um, what what actually matters to our lives, like, I, you know, maybe you could add family to that, like family, politics, and religion. You know, those are the things that actually matter to our lives, right? Like our family, uh, how we, like, live together in a place. Like, that's what politics means. Like, the word is polis, which is city, P-O-L-I-S, and politics is just like, how do you live near other people? Like, how do you function together? And that religion, obviously, is, you know, how how do we live with God? Um, is God near us or is he far away from us? And so these are the three things that matter in life, right? Um, and Jehoiada doesn't kind of uh, shy away from politics, right? So I think, um, you know, I hope... I haven't offended too many people, but I'm not normally ashamed to make somewhat political statements, right? Um, you, I mean, you guys know me. Uh, when it comes to things that are obviously biblical morals, so take something like abortion, I'm not going to shy away from talking about that in the pulpit just because it's a political topic, right? Um, that it's just because it's politics doesn't mean that God doesn't have something to say about it, right? Okay. So Jehoiada uh, organizes a coup. Uh, he's very politically involved. And uh, what he does, it's pretty clever, right? He uh, brings in all these people uh, to the temple, 
Um, and he tells them that on the Sabbath, um, a bunch of them are going to be uh, doing their normal Sabbath duty, but the rest of them are going to come into the temple um, on their off day, basically. And they're going to uh, like fill up the temple and, and surround Joash, who is at this time seven years old. But he is the rightful king, uh, the rightful heir to the throne of Judah. And um, this is a very – like it does seem like just like a little random in some ways. But it is very shrewd of him because what's going to happen is that they're going to coronate Joash under Athelia's nose. And she's not going to be able to do anything about it. Basically because there's just so many people there, right? And they, they whip up such a big crowd of people shouting, and and he uses specifically bodyguards and military men. So if you can imagine, like, um, packing uh, our sanctuary full of a bunch of military men and then trying to – and then doing something important in the center, um, if someone wanted to stop it from the outside, that would become very difficult for them, right? Because they'd have to get through all those – people so that's his that's kind of his plan um and he's kind of in with these guards and um it's very shrewd and i i think you know the the bible actually often um commends not condemns commends this kind of shrewdness right that christians should be wise as serpents but innocent as doves that there's a bit of a paradox or a balancing act here is that um to accomplish things that are God pleasing, it is okay to be clever about it, right? I talk about this with uh, fellow pastors sometimes. I was just talking to a friend of mine on my drive home the other day, um, and he had like some situation that uh, you know potentially was going to offend a lot of people, but he had to, he knew he had to be faithful, and um, he was saying like he was getting ready for like this big blow up in his congregation. And then he got this advice from another pastor uh, to basically um, just like not respond to the situation at hand. I can't give too many details, obviously, but um, by him just simply like not engaging, it like solved the whole situation uh, because it. It, it just didn't get he you know he thought that he needed to like respond and 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 defend the congregation and defend himself um and a fellow wise pastor said you know a more clever way or a more shrewd way to deal with this would just be like ignore it and uh then everyone's happy like the people don't really know that the other people that aren't involved you don't have to start a fight you don't have to you don't have to inform people of something that you simply just ignore and uh it was really good advice for him and he was like yeah i we got to be shrewd like we got we were talking about this idea of being shrewd and clever um yeah and and it wasn't unethical either like he was just like he just never considered that simple option of like like not engaging yeah right like it was uh it and he he wasn't lying or anything he was just ignoring um and so uh these are the kinds of things we need to think of um i think especially 
so to take it out of that context, put it back into like polit- politics and church, like we should be shrewd in dealing with the world, right? Um, I mean, Jesus says, make f- friends with yourself with unrighteous mammon so that they may receive you into heavenly places um, and commends the shrewd manager, right? That's that whole story in, in Luke. So um, anyway, I, I commend Jeho- Jehoiada's shrewdness here. That's... Uh, that's the next thing to say. Okay. Um, Frederick. Yeah, Frederick the wise. Yeah, Frederick. Frederick was shrewd, right? He had a he had a little safe house that he could take Luther to, and yeah, good, good. Right. Yeah, yeah, there you go. All right, well, we'll stop there. We'll uh, end with a word of prayer, Any other, unless there's any other questions or comments on that. But we'll, uh, we'll talk about the coronation next week. Um, when Athaliah comes out, uh, she's very funny. She kind of shrieks, you know, about the whole situation. But All right. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you. Uh, that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to us, and we thank and praise you that you have given us your living and active word. We pray that it would be active in our lives, and we thank you for working in us through your Holy Spirit, a new will. We pray that we would continue to hear your word, that you would be near us, and that we would live according to it, and that we would ever participate with you in godly works that you have prepared beforehand for us. We pray that you would bless our worship today and our fellowship today as we come before you in the breaking of the bread and the prayers and the apostles' teaching. We pray that you would bless these things. Let them be gifts of your grace and mercy to us. We pray all this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.